All right, something embarrassing happened to me the other day. All right, I jog around my neighborhood, and it's a nice place to jog around because it's, you know, you don't have to go out on, on major streets or whatever. It's in, in a cold, you know, in a subdivision, so it's real nice. So I'm jogging the other day, and, and I'm jogging. I hear this little with these hoof prints behind me. I thought it was a horse. And I look behind, it's this huge dog. It got loose out of its yard. And I, I know the dog is, and he, he, he didn't try to bite me, but he just started running with me throughout the whole neighborhood. And I couldn't shake the dog. So the dog's following me through the whole, just having a good old time. And what the dog is doing is he'd go through, he'd stop at every yard and do his business. So he'd stop, throw his scent, and then keep following me. So I'm like, well, if he's just tinkling, it's okay. So we're, all, we're good. So we keep going through the, he's following me. We get down to one part of our neighborhood, and he stops to do a number two. Well, as he's doing it, this is a huge dog, okay? So this is a huge meadow muffin that he's leaving. And I'm like, I hope the neighbors don't think this is my dog, because he's following me around. So as he's doing it, I look back, and the neighbor is coming out of their house, looking at the dog. They're pulling out of the drive in their car, looking at the dog. The do- and I go, I'm just praying. Do not come after me, dog. Do not follow me. Just go the other way. Gets done, chases right after me again. The car drives by me. It's not my dog. It's not. Finally, finally the, the neighbor that owns a dog came around and said, Have you seen my dog? Yeah, it just totally embarrassed me. And uh, this neighbor hates my guts now. So I just want... You ever try to disassociate yourself with people? This dog I wanted nothing to do with from that moment on. But uh, it was embarrassing, and I'll probably have to go over and apologize to that neighbor and try to introduce myself. I think she was pointing, isn't that the pastor at, at Living Word or something? Um, anyways, uh, we have been uh, looking at a series on the church. What is the church? And We've been looking at what does it mean to be part of the church community, being part of the church. And if I were to ask you this morning, what is the church? And if you were to define the church, many people, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks about this series about the church, we can take the, the, the message or the understanding of churches. I'm going to church. It's a building like you're in today. And many of you conjure up memories of when you were younger going to church. It was boring. It was something you did. Uh, you know, once a week. I can remember my mom would make me go to Sunday school when I was a kid. And I remember I was terrible in Sunday school. I was, one of, I was like the kid you did not want to have in your Sunday school class. I was bored and I just didn't like going. And I can remember one time I got the class together. The teacher was a little late. And I said, hey, let's hide all the Bibles. We hid all the Bibles. So the teacher was spending the whole time looking for the Bibles, and we never got to the, thing, to the class lesson. And I thought I was a hero. The kids lift me up on their shoulders, take me out of the class. You know, uh, I was terrible. I, I just didn't get what church was about uh, when I was younger until I was introduced to Christ and what he did for me. And I began to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I understood that church was more than just a building that you go to. But being part of the church is being part of the body of Christ. It's God has called you out of something, out of this world, and he's brought you into his marvelous light. And when we talked about the church, the definition of the church is, is made up of individuals who have been called out of this world and now belong to the body of Christ. 
I, I just thought going to church was going to a building and learning about Jesus. I didn't realize that it was literally God taking me out of the world and then taking me into a much bigger body of people who love Jesus Christ and who serve him and want his message spread around the world. You know, here's, here's the thing. Here's what the world is looking for today. If, if you look at our generation today, the younger generation today, they are passionate about causes. They don't want religion. They don't like this organized thing where you come to and you learn. They're, they're passionate about going out and doing causes. If there's not a greater cause in the world than the message of Jesus Christ, I don't know what there is. And what's interesting is there's a younger generation of young people that are catching fire with the message of Jesus Christ because they see the cause behind it that we can reach our world with this wonderful message. Not with the message of Jesus Christ, but doing it through compassion ministries and reaching out to people at the point of their needs as we reach out to people like in the sedan with blankets or children in Guatemala. We're also sharing the wonderful message of Jesus Christ with that. And there's a, there's a great movement happening around our world. I know that you guys see a lot of the bad stuff that's happening in our world and maybe with our younger people. But what encourages me is if you come here on Wednesday night, come on Wednesday night and peek in the youth room. You'll see 50, 60, 70 kids in that youth room, which a majority of them, many of them don't even attend our church. They just come on Wednesday night because they're listening to a message that they haven't heard before. There's a greater cause that God has a purpose and a plan for their lives to do something great through them, even though they've seen bad things or they've seen divorce or they've seen hardships in their life through their family. Christ has a message for them and he has a message for us. That's what being part of the church is all about. It's so much more. Are you here this morning? Okay, I'm just checking because I feel like I'm, I'm speaking to the wall here. Okay, just want to make sure you're with me this morning. This is exciting stuff. And I want you to catch this vision of Christ working through you to go out into the world to do something so much greater than just being a church attender. Boring. If that's all church is... I want nothing to do with it. And that's why I think people are losing interest in church because church has become this mundane thing that doesn't change anybody's life. There's so much more to it. When Christ changes your life, he calls you to something so much greater. That's why the early church exploded, literally exploded in the first century because they had a message that was changing people's lives. They were living one way. Christ's spirit came in them and completely changed them, made them radical believers for Jesus Christ. And what they did was they would meet together in small groups, but it didn't stay there. From that small group, they went out to the highways and the byways, and they expressed their faith of what Christ could do for them. And the church grew and grew and grew. The reason why the church is shrinking today in many denominations is because it's inward-centered and not outward-centered. And so what's happened is the church is getting older and older and older, and the younger people see no relevance to it, and they're not coming. God forbid the message is for all who come. But when we stop becoming outward is when we will shrink up and die. 
And that's not going to happen on my watch, capiche? We're going to keep reaching out, reaching out, reaching out with this wonderful message of what Christ has done for us. Christ changed my life at 16 years old, and he's changing people's lives. And when he changes a life, it's a radical transformation, and it's amazing what he can do through a person who is sold out to Jesus Christ. So what we're looking through is the book of Ephesians, Paul's epistle, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And what Paul does here is he encourages this local body of believers to continue to reach out and be the body of Christ that Christ has called them to be. Now, I want you to understand, while Paul is writing this letter, he's writing it while he's imprisoned in Rome, And the reason why he writes this letter is to encourage the local body of believers who are assembled in different parts of the city to encourage them to continue the work that Christ started in them. And this church is uh, in Ephesus. The the, the city was steeped in the occult and pagan worship. And uh, the the church was surrounded uh, uh, by intense immorality. And they would definitely have to be called to something different or, or else the world would consume them and they would just be part of the world and not effective. So it's no different that we see in our world today. God has called the church to come out from the world and to be different, to be lights in this dark world. Now, the, the, the body of Christ is to be called out of the world. We are to separate ourselves from the world, from the practice of the world that Christ has called you out of personally also. But that doesn't mean we come into this four walls and that's it. Us four and no more. Christ does call us to come together out of the world, but then he propels us into the world to share that message so that we can be salt and light in the world to affect those around us with the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. And so what we've learned so far is what the church is, who the church is, how do we walk in unity, how do we walk in holiness in the church. But in in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gets very practical, and he gives us the most important characteristic of the church. This is the thing we have to emphasize as the body of Christ. If we do not epitomize this very characteristic, we will lose our effectiveness in the world. And so what does this look like? Paul describes for us this very characteristic and how we must emphasize this uh, in our lives and in the church. So look at, let's look at the Word of God there. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. And what does Paul emphasize in this chapter to these body of believers in Ephesus? This is the most important thing the church should emphasize. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And then we'll read 15 through 21. It says, he says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then he tells him, listen in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the, the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And you're probably thinking, what in the world is debauchery? We'll explain that in a minute. But be what? Instead of being drunk, which can lead to debauchery, Paul, uh, Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God 
the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what Paul does in verses 1 and 2 in his letter. He emphasizes what the most important characteristic of the church is, and that is love. Period. Love is it. If that is not the emblem of the church, we've missed our calling. The problem is we are immersed in the church with a wrong definition of what love is in the world. And and I'm telling you, I'm in the same boat as every single one of you. All of us here were brought up with a definition of love, a worldly love that is so mixed up and so screwed up that it just messed with your mind. And that type of love has hurt you. People have made promises to you in the name of love and has broke those promises. And so in our world today, we have such a messed up definition of what love is. We don't even know what love is anymore. And here's the reason why. Let me explain to you what false love is. Because here's the whole topic of of the message today is, is we have to understand what love is and how we love and how the church should be characterized by what biblical love is. But first of all, false love, what's, what's the problem with love in our world? The reason why we are so messed up with the word love is we use the word love as a tool of manipulation in many circumstances. We use love to get to benefit myself. Let me give an example. We would say things like this to people. If you love me, you will do this for me. Right? We use it as guilt and manipulation. And so is that really love? No, you're being manipulated out of love. If you love me, and I would tell teenagers this when they were, you know, when they're under temptation, or anybody that's under temptation to... to to be ungodly and immoral before marriage. And I would say this, if somebody comes up to you and says, if you love me, you will do this with me. I'd just tell them, if you love me, you wouldn't ask. So write that down, girls, okay? Use that one for your arsenal, all right? Listen, we use love as a tool of manipulation. We use the word love to get something. We use the word to benefit me. And so we've lost the true meaning of love in our world today for the simple reason we have no idea what it really means. Because the, the word love in the, in the English language is so broad. The Greek language, it gets much more specific about love. There's different definitions of love. There's godly love and, and friendly love and, and passionate love. There's all different types of love. But in the English language, love is love. There's really not a fine definition. So in the same sentence... We'll tell our spouse, I love you. And then the same right after that, we'll say, well, I love my dog and I love pizza. Or we love fish tacos at Moe's, you know? I mean, in that same breath. Did you hear me? Fish tacos at Moe's. How many of you tried the fish tacos at Moe's? I'm leaving. That's it. I'm I'm out of here. Come on, you guys. Will you live? They are the best. Here's how you make them. Soft taco, black beans on the bottom, put the fish on top, get the salsa, grated cheese. Okay, wait a minute. That's after you eat the fish taco. Okay? What was that? What in the world? 
If you're a visitor this morning, I apologize, okay? Okay. Jeremy, make sure you tape the second service, not the first one. Put that online. Listen. Get your minds out of the gutter. Soft taco, black beans, fish, grated cheese, salsa. And then you, t- you have onions. Oh, it's so good. And then you top it off with cilantro. Cilantro is the best herb there is in the world. Okay? Fish tacos at most. So the meaning here is, listen, let's get back. Let's get our minds back together. Here's the bottom line. We have so watered down this word love that we don't even know what it means. Here's, what the, here's how the dictionary defines, defines it. It defines it as affection, strong liking, goodwill or benevolence. And if we, it, listen, if we don't have a strong biblical understanding of what li- love is, we're up to define it ourselves. And that's where we've gotten ourselves into trouble because it's just disastrous. So what if we simply base our love on our feelings or the dictionary's definition of love? Here's the result of love's definition that we see in the world today. Our love depends on me. Whether I'm feeling it or not feeling it, we base our love on feelings. So we have to remember that love is so much more than a feeling. So what we base our love on in the world is this romantic feeling. If I'm feeling something special in my heart, then that must be love. And it just brings me right back to a B.J. Thomas song, I Can't Stop This Feeling. Remember that song? Deep inside of me, girl, you just don't realize what you've done to me. When you hold me in your arms so tight, you let me know that everything's all right. Hooked on a high on believing that you're in love with me. Is that what love is? Hooked on a feeling. What's the issue with feelings? Feelings change, don't they? One day you'll be feeling this way. The next day you won't be feeling it because our emotions change. Do not base your love on your feelings. Man, if you base your love on your feelings, it's going to change. So what happens is two people will say, hey, you know what? We just kind of fell out of love. Like you fall into a pit. You know, we just kind of fell out of love as we fell in love. It makes no sense. Why? Because no one knows how to define love in our world today. But I believe there's so much, something greater than just an emotional type of love. And, and I know it. We, we feel it like when we watch a movie. You know, if you watch a real uh, sad movie, your emotions get in there. You see a really good love story, your emotions get in there. Some of you like to watch those emotional love story type of movies. I got to be honest with you, probably one of my favorite movies besides Rocky is I I like Anne of Green Gables. I'll just admit it to you now. I like it. I like the movie Anne of Green Gables. I've watched it a hundred times. How many of you men admit that you like it? Come on, with the men, how many men, let's say, how many men have seen Anne of Green Gables? Is there any of you? Thank, Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. See, let, it's good. Purging time. This is therapy, okay? It's okay. I mean, I, when they get to the point where her, where her uncle Matthew dies, I'm crying like a baby. I, I can't, I'm telling you, it's just, that gets to me every single time. So watch it because it's a really good movie. Anyways, and then after I watch that, I watch Rocky again and it, it balances me. Okay. So what's the better definition? What is the biblical definition? God sets the standard for us by giving us an example that he displays for us on what real love is. So, so what is this real love? What is it? Here's the biblical definition of love, which is a much better type of love that we need to base our love in, especially as a church. Biblical love benefits another at the expense of oneself. So biblical love, instead of what it does for me, it's literally sacrificial. It's giving to benefit the other person. Now, if we could love with this type of love, it would radically change our relationships. Listen, I've been doing this a long time, 21 years, full-time ministry. When I get a couple that comes in, and you know, when you're doing premarital counseling, they're all lovey-dovey and holding each other's hands, and oh, it's going to be wonderful, bliss, everything's going to be wonderful. Six months later, they're in my office. What happened? I don't understand it. This person leaves a toilet seat up. They leave their underwear all over the place. This is what I signed up for. Is this what love is all about? Because we're blinded many times by love because it's the wrong definition because we're basing it completely on our feelings. But if love is sacrificial, if we can get this down, it will change your relationships because really the bottom line in every relationship, let's be honest with ourselves here, the bottom line is it's selfishness. You're not getting what you want. And so it happens, somebody comes in my office and says, can you change my spouse? Because nah, 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 they need to change. And I'm not saying that we don't need to change. And I'm not saying that there's two, right? There's two in every relationship, right? And so, so many times we're spending our efforts trying to change the other person that we never look in the mirror and say, what do I need to change to make this relationship better? And when you boil it all down... It usually boils down to selfishness. I'm not getting something that I want. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a choice you make. And until you get this down, you're going to have a miserable life. Because you're going to constantly be looking for love in all the wrong places. You're going to only look for love that's going to benefit you. And the minute that person doesn't benefit you, guess what we do? We move on to the next relationship. Then we move on to the next relationship. We have to get this down. Love is a choice. And in two weeks, we're going to spend two full weeks on making that love choice in married relationships. And Paul goes deep into this in his letter, and we're going to be dealing with that in a couple weeks. So here it is. Paul tells us at the beginning of chapter 5 to be imitators of God as beloved children. So why should I want to follow God? Because he makes me or he forces me? No, Paul says we are to imitate God because we are loved. We are not trying to earn his love. As believers in Christ, you are loved. Here's the problem. Most people are trying in their relationship with God to earn God's love by what we do. That's not sacrificial love. You are already loved. 
The love that God has for you is unconditional. So stop trying to earn his love by what you do. Some people think, well, if I just go to church more, if I just read my Bible more, if I just do a couple more good works, if I just do this, then I'll earn God's love. No, God loves you. He loved you before you even loved him. He loved you in your sinful state. And so that's because God's love is sacrificial. God's love was a choice. He chose to love you, not based on what you did or didn't do. He loves you. Some of you need to get that into your spirit, that God loves you. Amen? Amen. He loves you. He chose to love you first. So we aren't trying to earn his love. As believers in Christ, we are loved. We are his children. And, we, and God made a choice to love us regardless. Okay. So does that automatically make me in a right relationship with Christ and we're all going to heaven? No, that's not what I'm talking about here. We have to, by faith, receive Christ's love, ask forgiveness of our sins, and then our sin debt is canceled, and then the gift of eternal life is given for those that have put their trust in Christ. So what I want you to see here is Christ first reached out to us. Now, this verse can radically change your life if you understand it. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, listen, God demonstrates his love to us. He demonstrates it. He just didn't talk about it. He demonstrates his love for us by while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does this mean? God chose to love you even when you were still a sinner. Why is this verse so powerful? For this reason. Jesus didn't die for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He didn't die for good people. If he were to die for good people, he would have never come. We're all sinners who have fallen short of God's perfection. Some might die for a good cause, but Jesus died for sinners. He died for people living in willful rebellion against God. God made a choice to love us and to demonstrate that love by giving us his son. Man, that's a totally radical different type of love. He didn't wait for you and I to get our lives together. He didn't wait for us to start loving him first. He, in his love, made a choice to love us first, and God initiated the plan for salvation for you and I. Now, have you ever tried to earn somebody's love? Some children will try to do that with their parents and they do that in their adult lives and they try, feel like they can never please their parents so they spend their lives trying to earn their love and trying to please them and to make them proud. Most of the time, it's never enough. And I know that I'm a parent and, and you know, my kids are in sports and they want to they wanna do well and Wesley's playing baseball right now and, and he just wants to do well. And it's amazing to me, I've got to be careful with my words. Because after a baseball game, if he has a bad baseball game, I don't say a word to him. I don't try to coach him. His coaches are much better than I am. I just won't say a word until he's ready to talk. But it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. When he gets a hit and he's on base, the first person he looks at is me. Because he wants to please me. He wants to please me. And whether he does bad or good, I said, Wesley, listen, I love you whether you get a hit or no hits. I don't care. I love you. You're trying your best. Don't put the pressure. You, you know, I got to yell at him sometimes. Are you having fun? 
That's the thing. Are you, as long as you're having fun, because if you're not having fun, we'll quit tomorrow. I want you to have fun. Don't, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Some of you here today, because of a bad relationship with your parents or a relationship, what that, what's happened is that's, that, that's come over in your relationship with God. That you're still trying to please God. And God says to you, I already love you. There's nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. I love you. And so in response to God's unconditional love to me, I just want to please him now. Not because I'm trying to earn his love, but because I know he loves me. And I want to please him in what I do. Do you see the difference? Be careful with your love and how you define love. Because if, if you bring the worldly love over into your relationship with God, you're going to live a miserable Christian life because you're going to be trying to please God in everything you do. And God says, I love you already. There's nothing you can do to earn my love. My love for you is unconditional. Please me now in the way you do good works. Do it because you're loved. I, I love this story of, of the book of Ruth that describes a story of Naomi, who's lost her husband, and she's, her, her two sons are now dead. She's got her two uh, daughter-in-laws living with her, and her daughter-in-laws are from different countries. And at this point, Ruth's saying, listen, I'm going to go back to my home country. You guys go back to yours. We're going to part ways, okay? Let's just cut our losses and move on. And Naomi's kind of bitter, and, and she's hurting. And, uh, and, and Ruth is not an Israelite. Her, her, her attachment is not to the same God as Naomi. But what's interesting about the story, I love the book of Ruth because what it talks about, it's an example of making a choice in your relationship to follow God and to choose to love someone by choice. And, and I love this story of Ruth because what she does is, 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 is Orpah goes off to, this one Donald goes off to her country and begins to serve her gods but Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you, Naomi. I'm going to make a choice because I love you. And I'm going to make a choice to follow you. And let me show you the, the scripture there. Um, oh, let's, let me go to verse 14, Ruth 1, 14. Let me read it to you. It says, they're getting, all, all three of them are getting ready to, to depart. And verse 14 says, and again they wept together. And, and, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. She just clung on to her. She wouldn't let her go. And she said, look, Naomi said to her, listen, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, her pagan gods. And she said, you should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God, Yahweh, the only God, will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And what's amazing about that, you've got to read this story because later on, Ruth does find a husband. 
within this family clan and this husband redeems her and basically takes them out of poverty. And it's a great story of how Jesus redeems us and, and purchases us back from the poverty of sin. What I love about this story is it's a story of someone choosing to love, choosing to follow, choosing to obey, choosing to listen to their God, to follow their God. What a wonderful story. When you guys, it's just, a, it's, the book of Ruth's not very long. Just read it sometime because it's just a wonderful story. And so Ruth made a choice at the expense of herself to follow Naomi by faith, and God blessed her with Boaz, with a wonderful husband that took care of her. She made a choice. I will follow you. I will make your God my God. Love is a choice, and God blessed her. Okay, what's the second thing that we see that love is the biblical definition of love? It's, it's that love is sacrificial. And, and, and what does this mean? Why is not only love a choice, but it must be sacrificial? Paul says, walk in love as Christ has loved us. Literally what Paul is saying is Christ gave us his love by showing us. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Love has to be a sure foundation or we'll make up our own definition. So Paul tells us that Christ loved us how? By giving his life as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Christ loved us not with words, but by literally giving his life. And so this love was sacrificial for this reason. We were enemies with God, not worthy of forgiveness. Christ still gave his life for us. And this was the committed type of love to the point of death. And so how do we put this, this type of choice love or this type of sacrificial love in our lives? Well, Paul shares with his listeners how it looks in our personal lives, how it looks in our relationships to one another. Christ's love should be seen in a way in our lives that, that exemplifies who Christ is and what he's personally done for us. We should love with a different type of love. Our life should be a life of humility in response to the great lengths that Christ went through to reach us with his life. So how does this translate into my life? How does Christ's love change us personally? And here's what Paul says in, in chapter 5. He says, here's how it changes us personally. He says, first of all, what we do with this love is that we take careful thought of our lives. We don't live as is unwise. We care about our testimony. I'm no longer living for myself any longer. I now ask myself, how does this make Christ look? My reaction, my unloving reaction to this person is not a reflection ultimately on me, but ultimately on Christ. You see, sometimes in situations when we get arguments with people, we don't like the way people treat, we just, we just go off on them. We think, well, this is just a reflection on me. No, it's not anymore. The way you respond to people is now a reflection of Christ in your life. And the testimony of who Christ is in your life and how you handle those situations are imperative. And we need to be careful. We need to take thought to our lives now, just not going off the handle anymore and just letting our emotions fly all over the place. We, take, we say, wait a minute, I got to back up here because, man, if I play this out in my mind, 
How is this going to look later on? How is this person going to view Christ later on if I'm not careful? Capiche? You hearing me? Let's be careful here. Now we take careful thought. If Christ's love is so gripped me, now I'm taking careful thought of my life. He, Paul also says, this love that's compelled me to live for Christ, now it, it, it makes me uh, use the best of my time. We make the most of our time. We don't dabble in things that are sinful or wasteful. We should be sensitive in every situation to be used by God to minister to others. We are not ashamed to share Christ with others because Christ's love has embodied my life now. So we make the most of our time. We think about Christ. We want to please Him in our lives. The third thing Paul says there is we also seek to do the will of God. And the will of God is not some hidden thing. In fact, in uh, the fall time, I'm going to do a whole series on knowing the will of God. I'm really, really, really excited about this. So the will of God, we seek to do His will. Now, his love has compelled us to now do His will. What does God want for my life? It's not some hidden thing. And God wants you to know His will. Here's the best passage I can get out of the whole Bible on knowing God's will. The bottom line is, There's God's moral will. The most important thing God wants for your life is his moral will. And listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's the will of God for every single one of your lives. You ready? Let me tell you what the will is. God could care less about what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in, okay? He could care less. Now, is it important to you? Yeah, do you need to use wise decisions in what you do? Yeah, but the bottom line is if God has my heart and I'm living holy before him and my mind is renewed before him, that's what God really cares about. So whether or not you choose the silver car or the red car, God doesn't care, okay? Stop beating yourself up about no. Was that God's will? Should I pick the red car? Did I miss God's will? Is that going to redirect my whole life now because I missed it back here? Listen, when I get into this in the fall, we beat ourselves up so much about our past thinking that we've always missed God's will that you're walking in guilt and condemnation. Will you just stop it? God, there's a moral will for you and God's will for every single one of you is to live holy lives, to be transformed by his love that you're no longer living the way the world desires you to live, but you're living the way God desires you to live. And, and I can remember there was, a, there was a guy growing up, and I read his book. It was called Youth of Flame. It was a, he was an evangelist from, from Australia. His name was Winky Prattney. Any of you remember Winky Prattney? Is there any Winky? Oh, good. Yay. I loved Winky. I don't even know if he's still alive, but I loved Winky. And I read that book as a teenager. And he had a chapter on knowing God's will. And this is what he said about God's will. I loved it because it just set me free. He said, listen, if you're, if you're praying and, and reading God's word and you're trying to please him with your heart, he goes, there's nothing but God's will. 
Amen? Now, if you're in a house and you're in up to your eyeballs in debt, is that God's will? Does, if, if, if you're a believing Christian and you want to find the right spouse, who are you going to look for? Another believer, right? So what's God's will that you find? So out of the six, seven billion people in the world, do you really believe that God has that one certain person for you? Come on. Come on. Listen. Follow the Lord with all your heart. Don't be unequally yoked with, with an unbeliever in your marriage if you're a follower of Christ. That's God's will. And Paul says, let your mind be transformed from the things and the patterns of this world to the patterns of God, and you will know his will. So a person that's compelled by the love of God will seek to do the will of God, and we should no longer be intoxicated with the things of this world. So what Paul tells his listeners, he says last, I love this little bit. We're going to finish with this. I love this. He says, listen, instead of being intoxicated with the world and being drunk on wine, he says, be intoxicated with the Spirit of God. Paul tells his listener, instead, if you're going to be filled with Christ's love, then you're going to be filled with his Spirit. And the evidence of a life that is filled with God's Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Love. And I love what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 as he's writing to a messed up church who, who didn't get love down right. He says this to the Corinthians. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am what? Just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and the understanding of all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? Nothing. If I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not loved, I gain nothing. So what Paul says, if, if your life is consumed with the love of Christ, Paul says, then we are to be filled with the Spirit. And he's saying this is an imperative for all believers. And you say, well, Pastor, how am I filled with the Spirit of God? And Paul says, in his wordage, he says, not just be filled once. He says, it's a continual filling of God's Holy Spirit. So how do I do that? Pray. Yield yourself to the Spirit of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. And if you look at all the evidence, specifically through the book of Acts, when the early disciples were filled with God's Spirit, it was always because they were praying. Notice that prayer enabled the Holy Spirit to fill their lives. So when you're seeking the face of God and you're asking God to fill you with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will fill you with his power for living each and every day so that you will no longer be wanting to be consumed with the things of the world. You're going to, be, want, to, be, you're going to want to be consumed with the things of God. The things of the world will no longer entice you. So Paul says, listen, here are the two extremes. There are those that want to be filled with the spirit, wine, drunkenness, that leads to debauchery, which means all kind of wild living, okay? And that's the sinful lifestyle. Or he says, instead, if you're filled with God's love, you're going to want to be filled with his spirit. So allow his spirit to fill you to live holy lives and to give you power for living. 
A spirit-filled believer, spirit-filled believers are consumed with Christ's love and will do everything to exhort other believers and we will encourage each other with God's word. So here, here's how it looks. How does a life filled with Christ's spirit change our relationships? Well, here's, here's what a spirit-filled life filled with God's love, filled with Christ's love, here's how it translates into our relationships. Paul says we will encourage one another. Spirit-filled believers are consumed with that. Encouraging, lifting up one another. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get. It's about encouraging other people to grow in their relationship with the Lord. A life that's filled with the Spirit will, will also, Paul says, submit to one another. And this isn't a mandatory thing. It's a voluntary thing. It means that I'm willing to give up my rights to be able to serve someone else. I don't always have to be in charge. I willingly lay my rights down the way I want to do it to serve someone else. So Paul says, listen, if you're filled with Christ's love, then you'll be willing to submit to one another. Like I had to do with Todd Pursuit yesterday when he beat me up when we were working around the churchyard yesterday. Todd was a slave driver. <laughs> Thank you. Todd's one of our deacons. He runs our maintenance. We did some yard cleanup and doing some moving rock and stuff, and it was real fun. And Don't let Todd's just mild dis- demeanor fool you because he had this whip, and that thing was tough, man. When he was out there, no, I'm just... Be willing, submitting to one another. I don't always have to be in charge. I don't always have to have my way. There may be another way of doing it. And so I say, you know what? I'm going to submit to that out of the love of Christ to submit to one another. So we encourage one another. We submit to one another. But here's the last thing I want to hit. Here's the thing about Christ's love. When it consumes us and we're filled with God's spirit, here's, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is we share this love with the world. This love compels us to reach out to the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, where love abounds, there's encouragement, there's submission, there's a servant's heart, there's a love that desires to please Christ. When this happens, you have a healthy church that honors Christ, that's not so concerned about itself and its own needs, it reaches out, it reaches out, it reaches out. Here's the thing. If you feel like you're selfish, which we all are at times, I am, you are, we all are selfish at at, at one time or another. We want our way, you know, admit it. There's times we want our way. Here's how you break the selfishness in your life. The way you break it is by serving other people. When you reach out to other people, you break that selfishness in your heart. And we're going to talk about this in your married relationships and how you can serve one another and how you can bring that love back into your relationships. And man, I have got the answer for you through the Word of God. Come in two weeks. I'm so excited about this. Okay, amen. So here's how you do. You serve. Here is an opportunity that we have before us as a church, to serve our city. And here's how you do it. If, if Christ, listen, l- let me just be honest with you. When I was first saved and Christ's love entered my heart, I was a very just, just 
we all are, but just selfish into myself. What do I want? Where do I want to go? Blah, 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 okay? For, for me to go and actually tell somebody else about my relationship with Christ, if you would have told me that before I was saved, I would have said, you are off your rocker. I'm not going to go up to somebody else and share my faith about Jesus. That's personal. That's religious. That's between them and the Lord, you know. I'm not going to do that. But you know what happened? When Christ's Spirit filled me, His love so compelled me that I couldn't keep it in. I had to share it with other people. And I can remember we had an opportunity to go to the Lilac Festival when I was 16 years old and witness to people. Now, I'm shy to begin with, and I'm afraid about saying the wrong thing. And I come here, I was with a group, and it was the first time I ever did some kind of outreach and actually shared my faith with just going up to complete strangers, you know, and just saying, hey, how you doing? Enjoying the Lilac Festival? Yeah, can I talk to you a minute? I would do some questions and answers. And, and, and after a while, it got kind of fun. It was like, some people were like, oh, no, don't want to talk about that. That's religion. Are you trying to tell me about, are you trying to tell me about Jesus? I am, and you're going to hell. No, I didn't say it. No, I said, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, we would talk, and it was great. But you know what it did? Listen, what it did for me was, it showed me that even when people reject you, it's not about me. It's about Christ's love compelling me to love people even when they reject the message. Jesus hung on the cross for you and I as people were rejecting him. What did Jesus say? Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let me tell you what happened to me. At that point in the Lilac Festival, 1982, was the first time I really understood about real love. Because when someone rejected the message of Christ, I was like, how could you reject Jesus? Then I took it all personal. I wanted to go punch the person in the face. I'm like, oh, you don't like Jesus? Oh, yeah, okay. Like Jesus? One lady, I remember one lady looked at me. I started to walk up to her. The minute I walked up, she goes, are you going to give me a track and tell me about Jesus? Because I already had three other people do it. So I don't want to. I'm like, whoa, okay, Whoa. And I smacked her around a little bit and she came, to, came around. No. Listen, what I, what I got over at that moment was this. It's not about me. And that's where I learned to love people with the heart of Christ because whether they rejected it or not, it didn't change Christ's love for them. And how many times did I reject Christ before I came to know him but Christ kept knocking at my heart's door. He never gave up on me. And I look back and I'm like, God, thank you for your grace that you never gave up on me. Man, I, I would cuss, cuss you to your face. And you could have struck me down with lightning right there or killed me, but you didn't. You didn't. It's because of your great love for me that you are patient with me, not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to an understanding, a saving knowledge of what Christ has done for us. He is patient with you. So what I learned in 1982 was this, was that it doesn't matter what I feel, it doesn't change how God feels for that person. 
I am the one through Christ's love that needs to deliver the message of his love, regardless of the way the person receives it or not. It's not up to me. It's up to God. And God's the one that does the saving. God's the one that will change their heart, not me. I'm just there to love people and to serve them and to serve even the unlovable. Easy to serve people that love you and are going to say nice things to you. Oh, I want to serve all those people. What about the people that irritate you, that don't appreciate what you're doing, that, that, that are mean to you? Christ's love. You serve many ways, right? That's when you know that Christ's love has gripped your heart when you serve the unlovable. That's how we must be as the body of Christ. If that love does not encompass our lives, we will die and shrivel up as a church. So here's our opportunity before us. We've got an opportunity in June to literally reach thousands of people with the message of Christ. And it's a Billy Graham crusade, um, Rock the Lakes, and it's two days in June. And I want our church, our church has already gotten behind this with people that are, are volunteering as, as, as counselors and so on and so forth. But I want you to realize this. It's all about souls. Has Christ's love gripped your heart to reach people? And I want you to just watch this video, just a short video clip of a man who literally sacrificed his life in order for others to hear the message of Jesus Christ. It's a man called John Harper. Look up at the screens. It was April 15, 1912, the year of our Lord, when the HMS Titanic sank beneath the icy waters of the North Atlantic, taking with it 1,517 lives. The largest and most luxurious ship known to man at the time was gone, reminding the world of our frailty as human beings. But there is more to the sinking of the Titanic than a historical tragedy. There is a story of courageous heroism and unshakable faith. John Harper was aboard the Titanic when she set sail from Southampton, England on her maiden voyage. An evangelist, originally from Glasgow, Scotland, he was well known throughout the United Kingdom as a charismatic, passionate speaker who led many to Christ through his gift of preaching. In 1912, Reverend Harper received an invitation to speak at the Moody Church in Chicago, USA. And on April 11, 1912, John Harper boarded the Titanic. The world was captivated with the ship. Widely proclaimed as unsinkable, it was the largest movable object ever built by man at the time. Some of the wealthiest people in the world were aboard. While many of the passengers spoke of business deals, acquisitions, and material desires, John Harper was diligently sharing the love of Christ with others. In the days leading up to the tragedy, survivors reported seeing Harper living like a man of faith, speaking kind words, and sharing the love of Christ. On the evening of April 14th, as passengers danced in the ballroom and tried their luck at the card tables, 
John Harper put his daughter to bed and read his devotions as he did every night. At 11.40 p.m., the Titanic struck an iceberg. The unsinkable ship was doomed. Either in disbelief or unaware at the time, passengers continued about their pleasures. It wasn't until the ship's crew sent up a series of distress flares, lighting up the moonless night, that passengers finally realized the seriousness of their situation. Then chaos ensued. It all happened so fast that John Harper could only react. His response left an historic example of courage and faith. Harper awakened his daughter, picked her up, and wrapped her in a blanket before carrying her up to the deck. There he kissed her goodbye and handed her to a crewman who put her into boat number 11. Harper knew he would never see his daughter again, and his daughter would be left an orphan at six years of age. Harper then gave his life jacket to a fellow passenger, ending any chance of his survival. While the light of otherworldly ambitions began to flicker and die, John Harper's burned even brighter. As the sounds of terror and mayhem continued, Harper focused on his God-given purpose. Survivors reported seeing him on the upper deck, surrounded by terrified passengers, on his knees, praying for their salvation. At 2.40 a.m., the Titanic disappeared beneath the North Atlantic, leaving a mushroom-like cloud of smoke and steam above her grave, and tragically, over 1,000 people, including Harper, fighting for their lives in the icy water. He managed to find a piece of floating wreckage to hold on to. Quickly, he swam up to every person he could find, urging those about him to put their faith in Jesus Christ. While death forced others to face the folly of their life's pursuits, John Harper's goal of winning men to Jesus Christ became more vital. Soon, John Harper began to succumb to the sea. Even in his last moment, this tireless man of undying faith continued his life pursuit of winning lost souls. I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of only six people out of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Like the hundreds around me, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me, Is your soul saved? I heard him call out to others as he and everyone around me sank beneath the waters to eternity. There alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. Harper, as he knew then, would not survive. But his example of undying faith and commitment to the Word of God lives as an example for all to see. In the midst of that desperate assemblage of drowning men, women, and children, he pointed them to the cross, and thus, as he lived, died with that one name upon his lips, Jesus Christ. Thousands of people went to a watery grave in an instant. And here John Harper, being so consumed with the love of Christ, didn't care about himself. He just lost his wife not too much before that, had his young daughter saved her, and then, and then just reaching out to others with, with the love of Christ. Here's the thing. We've got an opportunity 
uh, in June 16 and 17 through this outreach to, to, to literally touch thousands of people. They think there are going to be up to 30,000 people that will come to this event in Rochester, and I want you to be a part of that. And here's how you can be a part of that. A couple things. We've got a table set up in the back with Rock the Lakes. You can be part of a prayer team. There's a sign-up for that. You can be part of helping out at the event itself, like with parking and just logistics. Um, the big thing is you've been praying for this every day. Um, we also have invite cards that you can take to invite people to come to this event. It's a free event. And the reason why it's free is because churches like us will give to this, and we're going to take an offering in just a moment. Here's another way you can be part of it is financially give to this, that, um, that many people will come to know Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Savior. And so I want to pray, and here's how you can express your love that has gripped your heart with the love of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing you could ever do is to reach out to somebody else with the message of Christ and what he's done for us. That's what compelled John Harper to do what he did, and that's what should compel us in our lives. And I think sometimes we just get kind of lost in our everyday life, that we forget there's people all around us. I mean, the severity of the Titanic obviously made people react. But you know, there are people around us every day that need to hear that message, that are lost, that are dying, that are going to their graves without hearing what Christ has done for them. That we're all separated because of our sin, but Jesus did that, took care of our sin problem on the cross. And for those that put their faith in Christ, they can be set free and they can be healed and they can find eternal life and not be judged and condemned for their sins, which obviously leaves people eternally condemned in hell without Christ. And that's why Jesus came. He came to save us from God's judgment that we no longer have to fear death. And so that's the church. The church is a body of believers that go out into the world to share that wonderful message. And here's a tangible way that we can do that in June. So I'm gonna ask you to come. We're gonna take an offering. And this is all going to go to this outreach. And uh, if you give this morning, you can make the check out to Living Word and all the, the proceeds will go to Rock the Lakes to help with this huge event. Here's a tangible way that we can sow into this event is by giving. So let's pray. Let's just pray. Lord, thank you for this word today. Lord, we thank you for loving us and never giving up on us, God. Lord, we pray for this event that's has over 300 churches working together, thousands of volunteers working together to reach our city with the love of Christ. We know that the answer is Jesus for this lost world. And Lord, we don't want to be a church that's focused inward. We want to be a church that looks out of these four walls to realize that Jesus, you died for this world. And so God, I pray that it would change our hearts, change our lives. And Lord, as we give to you today, Lord, we ask that you would just use these monies, God, to, to just um, help spread your word. Thank you for Billy Graham Association and the wonderful work they've done over the years and the crusades they've done to lead thousands upon thousands of people to the Lord. And so we pray for our community, God, that it would touch our community, that hearts would forever be changed for Christ. So thank you, Lord, that we just, our church just has a small part of this in a much larger church, and we thank you that we can be part of this today. So, Lord, may we be involved. May we just reach out to you in our love. And we just praise you and we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Let's stand as we sing the song unto the Lord. Amen. God bless you in your giving.
southern god of this city You're the king of these people You're the lord of this nation You are You're the light in this darkness You're the hope to the hopeless You're the peace to the restless You are
that God, each and every day we'd be so consumed with your love and what you've done for us, how your love was sacrificial, Lord, how your love reached out to us even while we were still enemies with you. God, may we not base our love on emotion or how it can benefit us. Love is a choice. And Jesus, you chose to reach us. And God, there's a world out there today that needs to know of your love. And God, I thank you for the healing that it brings, the joy that it brings, and the changed lives. So Lord, we need you today. God, may our church be consumed with your love. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to reach our city in June. We pray great things will happen and great things will come from it, God, as we trust you, Lord. So go with us now, God, and thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ today. And we just pray these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If any of you need prayer today, our prayer partners will be up front. We'd love to pray with you if you have any need today. Otherwise, go in God's grace. Amen. God bless you.